Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com. And today I'm excited to have a wonderful guest named Anita Wagner-Illig. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And she is a longtime polyamory thought leader, media spokesperson, blogger, and open relationship educator. I'm really excited to have you on the show and find out all that you've been up to all these years. Anita, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you here, too. So you have a website called practicalpolyamory.com, and you have so much content on there. It's just great, all the referral and educational material. How did you get into this topic of polyamory? About 20 years ago, after I had been divorced for a second time, uh, and um, felt like I had not really, things hadn't turned out like the fairy tale that we are told that um, <laughs> monogamy should be. And by the way, I'm not here to put down monogamy in any way. It's a fine choice for those who choose it and for, who it works, for those it works for. So I gave that a try a couple of times. And uh, one of the things I realized is how difficult it is to be all things to one person over the long term. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people work with that fine, but I realized that was a problem. The other thing I was not interested in was to have anything to do with cheating because I experienced that from just about every perspective. And uh, I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, and at the time, I also was exploring an interest in dating women. And the first uh, or the second woman I dated uh was in a triad. She had a husband and a wife, and that blew my mind. It opened my eyes to this other possibility that uh, might work better for me, and as it turns out, it has. Wonderful. So did you ever get into a triad like that with one man and one woman? I did. <laughs> I did. Um, actually, uh, not long after that. Pardon me. I met a couple in New York City who were looking for a third, and uh, things went well for about three months, and then things stopped going well. And um, as I like to say, that was my lesson in how not to do polyamory (laughs) because Mm. I found out that uh, they they were lovely people, but they had some problems in their marriage and really had – uh, jumped the gun on opening if they had a lot of stuff they needed to work on. And, and I found myself mm-hmm. being suddenly uh, demoted to secondary without really understanding why. So I did. And then I uh, uh, went on from there and got into a relationship with a man who shared my interest in uh, community organizing for the polyamory community. And um, he and I did some experimentation with uh, uh uh, forming a triad uh, with mixed success. And at the time, I decided that uh, it was, there was such a challenge with forming a triad with three equal partners, and I didn't understand it well enough to feel like I could do it responsibly. So from that point on, we, he and I, and he and I are not together anymore, although we're, we're dear friends, um, were together eight years, and we... Um, I had open dyad where he had another partner, I had other partners too, uh, and then we maintained our relationship as our home base, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine you must have learned a lot from your early experimentation with polyamory for your future uh, writing and, and speaking and coaching. Um, what did you learn from that 
first triad that you had that you would teach other people who might be getting into a triad for their first time? I would say that I would be, uh, and I am, if I were to get were to get in that situation again, what I would be doing is I would be um, assessing um, the, that uh, couple's relationship or any relationships that are already existing if I meet someone new uh, to get an idea of how healthy they are and how well the uh, people involved communicate with each other, um, how they um, manage conflict uh, and what commitments they have to each other, what they're looking for from me or from me and my uh, partner, if that's the way it is, or another partner or two. And um, that would tell me before I got too deeply emotionally involved whether this was really a relationship I felt that could really, really thrive and flourish and be the source of joy and pleasure that I'd be looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the things that you said apply to monogamous relationships as well. Uh, we want to look <laughs> for a partner true. who is good at communicating, has emotional intelligence, knows how to manage conflict. Mm-hmm. So all of those things are true in any kind of relationship, but it, it's just amplified by additional people when you're dealing with open relationship. Um, I want to talk for a minute about being, you were like coming into an existing relationship at that time. And mm-hmm. I also was in a, in a triad like that. And I felt like you used the word demoted, but I had that experience too, where I felt like I had the least power because the couple I was with were married and living together. And I felt like I had the least power and it was difficult to get my voice heard until I finally just said, no, this isn't working for me because I'm not feeling like an equal partner. Um, What advice would you give people who are wanting to get into a, Well, let me just step back for a second. It's very common in open relationship for couples to want to find usually a woman more often than a man. They want to find a woman. Mm -hmm. They want to to keep their relationship safe. They want to both date the woman. um, But you can't really control how that third woman is going to feel. So what advice can you give for people that are um, getting involved in a triad like that so that there's an equal distribution of power among the three of them? It depends on how much experience they already have at bringing someone else into their marriage or their relationship. It depends on um, if something, if they have done that and it didn't work out, if they have a, an awareness about why that might be and whether they can can talk about that. I would also say that um, it's hard to know for sure how we're going to feel ahead of time in these situations. And that that's especially true for people who are new at this. That's mm-hmm. when I feel like it's even more important to have early conversations about the importance of transparency and the importance mm-hmm. of privacy, which are mm-hmm. two different things but work in harmony if handled correctly. Uh, and, and if that is something that the people in the existing relationship can talk about and are aware of, uh, if they have done some work on um, finding out more about these kinds of relationships, if they've already handled them, that's not a big deal. But so many people are new at this. And mm-hmm. we just keep seeing our community grow and grow and grow. So uh, often people, the people involved are new at it and um, I'm a big proponent of self of educating ourselves on these things. I always compliment people that come to the workshops to tell them, well, you've, you've taken a great big step in the right direction by uh, reaching out and finding out more about uh, these kinds of relationships if, if you're new at it. Uh, and also reading reading books that have been written on this subject because there's a lot of great stuff out there. 20 years ago, there wasn't. But today, mm-hmm. we have so many more resources than we had back then. Uh, one of the reasons, the things that got me into being an educator 
was that I kept after once I got my feet under me about all this and I uh, took some hard knocks but learned from them. Uh, once I did that, uh, and as a community organizer and meeting a lot of people in the Washington D.C. area where I where I lived, um, I found, I kept seeing people make the same mistakes that I made. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times they were doing that because they just didn't know better. They We don't have anyone to model um, open relationships for us. Uh, but that day's coming. We, we're, we'll, we should be seeing the second generation pretty soon. But for the longest time, I didn't meet people who had ever had a, a, anyone in the family model this for them. Almost no one. Only right, a couple not- people. Right, and that's why it's so important to have community, and I love that you've been a community organizer. What's the polyamory community like there in your area in D.C.? Because I'm out here in the San Francisco area. Right. Oh, it's good. It's it's thriving. It's booming, as a matter of fact. Um, we have uh, a, a, a meetup group called OPEN, and that's an acronym for Our Polyamory Enrichment Network, and that's mm-hmm. for uh, D.C. and Virginia and Maryland, or anybody who wants to come, actually, to the events. And people host their own events around the region. And we have a, uh, a young adults group, and we have people out in Virginia, and we have, have a number of meetups in Maryland. Some of them are in restaurants. Some of them are in private homes. Um, but it, it's working. It's really nice. We also have a couple of uh, regular discussion groups that local polytherapists hold, which is mm-hmm. a real asset to the community. Mm-hmm. And Baltimore also yeah. has a thriving community. Um, I'd say our D.C. area meetup group now has about 2,000 people signed up for it. We don't have that many people participating wow. all the time, but there are, there are mm-hmm. several hundred of them. Fabulous. That's great. So you talked yeah. about a really interesting topic, transparency versus privacy. I like that. Um, it's very important to be honest and transparent, but we also want to sometimes uh, be able to have relationships with somebody and, and they might feel like they don't want you to share everything about what happened. Or So how do you juggle those two seeming competing perspectives, transparency versus privacy? Well, pardon me, I'll say first of all that this was probably one of the last aspects of these relationships that I had trouble really pinning down my feelings about them and um, because they did seem to be contradictory for a while, especially if you factor in um, secrets as opposed to transparency. Um, Mm -hmm. And also, uh, uh, well, what we need to be able to do, of course, again, is communicate about these concepts with the people we're involved with to find out what mm-hmm. their boundaries are for these things and whether mm-hmm. there's something that we can agree to and also to uh, get together, get everyone together to talk about these things in the same room. And mm-hmm. that can be rather intimidating, especially uh, depending on how how um, experienced the people are who are um part of the group and Mm -hmm. whether they have a good sense of uh, what these, these concepts really mean. Um, Mm -hmm. Transparency is what I'm describing now, of course, uh, because one of the things I know (laughs) can be a problem. And and I expect uh, you, you know, this too, is that the concept of unspoken expectations or unexpressed expectations Mm -hmm. and, That would seem to be an obvious thing, but I remember having uh, a situation where I was surprised by someone's reaction to to something, and um, I thought, well, doesn't everybody think this way about this? And and as it turned out, they don't. So I Mm -hmm. learned not to make assumptions uh, and to um, bring out everything that I think is important to me and to be able to articulate my own boundaries and to make it safe for people, the people in the group to also share what their boundaries are emotionally, whether they have, if there are existing relationships, what their commitments are in those relationships, uh, and also uh, to, so, so that we all have a good sense of what our obligations to others are 
And that way we'll know whether those are, that's something they can live with or not, or we can live with or not. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it sounds like there's a lot of communication that needs to happen. Um, oh, one yes. of the criticisms <laughs> that, uh, yeah, one of the criticisms that, polyamorous people get is that oh don't you just have to process all the time <laughs> but, but I know that for me I find that in monogamy we can sweep things under the rug for a very long time mm-hmm. uh, whereas we can't we can't really get away with that in polyamory and I think that it forces us to be um, more transparent to use the word that, that you like um, kind of forces us to be more honest uh, forces us to talk about things that may feel uncomfortable uh, and doesn't allow us room to sweep things under the rug. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. That's been my experience as well. Um, so it, monogamous relationships do, just as you say, I think we've seen it modeled. We have an idea that, okay, we have to, uh, there, we can get enough of the things we need to be happy, or we hope we will, in that setting or in that circumstance. But polyamory, especially for folks who are new at it, can really bring out our insecurities, the insecurities we didn't even know we had until we got mm-hmm. involved. So in terms of communication, um, it's uh, it's not for everyone. There's a lot of heavy lifting in that regard, more in the beginning for relationships. If everything goes well, in my experience and observation, if everything goes pretty well where everyone's willing and able to talk about um, their own concerns and hopes and desires and, and in, a, in an open way so that everyone really gets to know what the others need and hope for from us, uh, then we can conduct our relationships more lovingly and more um, uh, compassionately and can, uh, take, uh, can, can spend the time necessary to get that relationship really grounded. Um, and mm-hmm. when it's Good. grounded, and we all and, and we all develop trust for each other, because we can see that the everyone involved is uh, being supportive of the developing relationships, and that's a big, that's a concept I believe very firmly in, and and speak about quite a bit in workshops. This is a package deal. This is not something that you can sort of be the be the partner of someone, but never have any connect, contact with other people because you don't want to or you it's not that you have to be best friends and joined at the hip but you have to respect each other's relationships um you asked me also in addition to talking about transparency also privacy uh what i just said about uh the uh, importance of get of grounding new relationships. I, I really firmly believe that it's important not to start too many new relationships at the same time, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, we may be. I know couples date other people, and it works out great for them. Most people seem to uh, find that they're still dating more or less one on one, and that is what maybe that's because that's what they've always done in pre, their previous adult life and. Are comfortable with, um, but I do believe that uh, it takes some time for people to get to know each other. And again, this goes just like you said for monogamous relationships too. Um, it takes time for people to get to know each other and to um, trust each other and to even determine whether that's going to be the right relationship for them. And uh, mm-hmm. if if they're willing to make an adequate investment in that, not exclusively, but just don't be out there starting several relationships that you've got to try to juggle and handle this process all at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. I firmly believe that if people avoid doing that, then they have a much better chance of uh, uh, getting off to a really great start with, with a new relationship. Mm-hmm. In terms of privacy, I think people need privacy to connect and bond emotionally um i i know there are people who say well i'll be i can avoid i can handle my jealousy if you come home and tell me everything that happened on your on your mm-hmm. date uh, but i've known that to cause a lot of problems for people too they resent that there's no they have no privacy with that person and it's not they want to keep secrets uh it's that they um uh need that for bonding 
um, a lot of people do anyway. And um, the, the privacy aspect is if everyone can agree that privacy is appropriate uh, and everyone can express their boundaries in terms of what they do expect to happen um, or what their boundary is perhaps on the, uh, you know, the, the, the most important thing in the beginning to a lot of people, of course, is uh, using safer sex practices. Uh, so if I if it were my my spouse, I'm I'm non-monogamously married. If it, it uh, for the third and last time we've 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 mm-hmm. swear, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, neither of us want to go through another divorce. Um, <clears throat> as long as I know that he's uh, living up to his um, commitments to me, <clears throat> pardon me, then I don't need to know everything that goes on. So right. in that and way, so he yeah. Go ahead. In this way, this this uh, opens up that um, realm of possibility for privacy for that new and budding relationship. But of course, it requires trust between my partner and me. And as long as we trust, we have a firm um, grounding in trust in our relationship, then that privacy can exist without a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. You said so many things. I have lots of questions. Um, my first question is <laughs> the the hierarchy of, so you're married. Do you consider mm-hmm. your relationship with your husband to be hierarchical, like that it's more important? Do you give it more priority than your other relationships? And then a second question that's kind of an addition to that is, what if you're dating someone whose partner is like a don't ask, don't tell. So let's say you're dating a man whose wife says, sure, you can go date somebody. I just don't want to hear about it. Um, I know those might be kind of two separate questions, but I'll just leave that in your, in your court to answer however you like. Yeah. Well, I'll, as, first of all, um, I will say that uh, in my background, I was raised a Southern Baptist in Tennessee. Um, uh-huh. And uh, so I, I like to use this term that I like to take a come-to-Jesus approach when it comes to cheating. <laughs> Remember I said uh-huh. I didn't want to really be involved with that in any way. Um, and that means that it would be great if that person were really willing to look at this and be open with, with whoever the lady partner is. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Anita, Anita I'm going to interrupt you for a second sure. because all of a sudden your mm-hmm. sound got really loud, almost like you're too close to the microphone or something. Oh, okay. I've got a headset That's on. Better How's now. that? Is that better? Yeah, okay. much better. Yeah, um, Okay, please continue. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, I think it's a personal choice. I know there are people who don't have a problem with their partner dating people who are not being honest with their partners. Um, well, it's not about not being that, honest. It's more that the don't ask, don't tell, because we were talking about transparency. Oh, right. And right. so uh-huh. if somebody okay. says, yeah, I know you're dating other people, but I just don't want to hear about it, um, mm-hmm. how do those types of relationships typically work? Uh, my, in my observation, they work okay for a while, but uh, <laughs> right. they, they, there can be Sticky problems that come up. I had a really good friend get into a problem because she was she was good friends with a a man and his wife and her husband and that man's wife decided to meet out of town without telling the other man mm. and. It became a big problem because the woman, who's a good friend of mine, uh, who who knew about all this, ended up feeling very badly that she knew that this dear friend of her wife was out of town with her husband, and she didn't know what to do with that in terms of how to Mm -hmm. handle it. She felt guilty. It was something that she was just not able to put away uh, out of her mind, and um, I think it's a matter of how people handle it, but she got to where she could not really um, manage that situation. And, uh, in fact, we ended up, I ended up facilitating a discussion between the four of them when this was revealed that this, that the, this new relationship existed, that 
hadn't been fully oh, disclosed. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was awkward, but it, but it worked out pretty well, actually. In, in mm-hmm. the end, I was, mm-hmm. I was pleased to say, and largely because the people involved really did care about each other. I don't know why it was so hard to be honest, but uh, completely honest on it. Um, so yeah, sometimes um, I've had to um, I've had to tell people um, I can't I can't hold this lie for you. So you either need to tell them or I'm going to. Which would you prefer? <laughs> it kind of gives them. That I think opening. that's pretty much. Yeah, and that's what she pretty much ended up saying in our in our facilitated mm-hmm. conversation about it was that she well she said to her her spouse ahead of time that she was going to need to do this. So, um, yeah, right, I'm not right. a big fan of don't ask, don't tell myself, but I think there are people who do make it work. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's, I, I think it, one of the places it's really, there's there, one of the potential problems with it is that if the, if a person is not willing to really meet the other people, their partner's seeing and their partner really it's falling in love with someone new and um, they don't have the opportunity to get to know that person and recognize that they're a normal person with, with great, with, with positives and negatives. This, this gets into the area of, of jealousy too. Um, so I'm a big fan of, of meeting, at least meeting and developing a decent rapport with a new part, our, our partner's new partner. Doesn't mean we all have to spend all our time together, or, or even do holidays together or anything. But we do need to to at least be fami- enough familiar enough with each other to realize that that to to prevent that voice from starting to talk to us about oh, who are they seeing and maybe I'm not good enough and all of those things that can come out for them. Um, Right, because that does happen. I'm not a big fan of that. Our, our, mm-hmm. Yeah, because our, mind, our minds can really go off into fantasy and thinking the other person is all of that. But when you finally met, meet them and you realize that they're an ordinary person that you might kind of like, mm-hmm. it can really soften things. Mm-hmm. So you, you touched on jealousy, and I, I think you teach a workshop on making peace with jealousy. Is that oh, correct? Yeah. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, as I like to say, it's my flagship workshop. It's the one that I get most requests awesome. for. Okay, well, I want to Absolutely. hear a little bit more about that. But before we go into that, I just want to let people know if they're just tuning in that you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Anita Wagner Illig, who's the creator of practicalpolyamory.com. And one of her flagship workshops is on jealousy, and I'd like to hear more about how you teach people to manage jealousy, Anita. Well, <clears throat> we um, we pack a lot into a two-hour class, let's put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about um, the underpinnings of jealousy, first of all, that as human beings, we all get jealous. You know, we, we poly people always get that question. Well, aren't, don't, you, don't, don't you get jealous? I could never do that. I've had so many people say, oh, I could never do that. I get jealous. And we all, um, via the media messages that we don't even, don't even register with us because of uh, how much jealousy is actually um, condoned in our culture, that it never. We always um, uh, we we tend to believe that it's a deal breaker. A lot of people tend mm-hmm. to believe it's a deal breaker, um, or that it would be a deal breaker. And what I do is uh, teach people how to manage it and how to unmask it uh, and identify some of the complex underlying emotions that can be present. Uh, by doing mm-hmm. that, we can discover. Uh, the cause of jealousy a lot of times and effectively come up with a plan to take away its power with the participation of our partner and perhaps if, if, if everybody's willing, hopefully the, uh, the, the person our partner's involved with that we, we, uh, we're worried about. Uh, we don't have two hours here, so I'll just say, say, say a couple of things. Mm-hmm. One thing I talk about a lot is fear, and I recommend that people start paying attention to how fear plays out in their lives 
and how much it controls them and whether it's controlling them in things that are appropriate to be fearful about and how much of it is more a fear of the unknown, a fear of change, fear of losing power and control, that, that kind of thing, fear of abandonment. We've all been abandoned at mm-hmm. one time or another in our lives, one way or another, whether it was just when mom and dad went out and left us with a babysitter for the first time. So um, we... we um, we all have a little bit of that going on sometimes, but um, generally speaking, I like to say that if someone has significant abandonment issues or significant self-esteem issues, I always recommend to them that they consider doing work on that before they get involved in, in polyamory because uh, if, that, if those things are going on, it's a pretty good bet that they're going to make the climb a lot steeper before they get over the hump and get to where they are really comfortable with this. Um, I also talk about who gets jealous, and basically that's everybody. (laughs) Some have the green-eyed monster kind of jealousy, and that's something that uh, generally is a deal-breaker in polyamory. If someone has those strong emotions and really strong feelings about possession and possessing one's partners, uh, this is not going to be the right thing for them. So I always discourage mm-hmm. that. Um, I talk mm-hmm. about the differences between jealousy and envy. you have a question mm-hmm. that you want to say? Oh, no, no, I was just listening. Um, uh, I, I, did, I did have a reflection about what you were saying about fear, but go ahead and finish your thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, only that I was going to continue to talk about the basic, the basic outline of what we talk about in jealousy. So now would be a fine time to talk about fear. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it was interesting when you were talking about um, if somebody has strong abandonment feelings that you suggest they work through that first, maybe with a therapist or something. And mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. wanted to reflect that for me personally, I know that I was able to work through that stuff over time, um, whereas I used to be extremely jealous when I was practicing monogamy. And then I managed to get to a place where I'm practically a relationship anarchist now because I have such a solid sense of self and who I am. So how often do you see (laughs) people grow? Yeah. How often do you see people grow from where they feel like they could never have an open relationship versus somebody who feels like they were kind of born that way and it's just very natural? How Um, often do you see the, the various different ways? Um, generally speaking, if I meet someone, um, who's interested in polyamory, um, now sometimes I meet couples in workshops and I can always spot them because generally, uh, the guy leads the way and he's got his arm around the woman and she's got some negative body language going on and, you know, she's <laughs> not real, it, it, yeah, I mean, I could, I, you can really spot them if you know what you're looking, what you're seeing, um, uh-huh. And uh, many times that, that that partner, through what they hear in the workshop, will open up more and agree to at least give it a try. Um, mm-hmm. But there are those who, I remember coming out to a friend that's poly or in my early poly days, and she would literally put her hand up toward me like in a stop motion like, oh, I could never do that. I'd be too jealous. <laughs> and when she did it mm-hmm. the second time, I decided I just shouldn't talk about this anymore with her because it wasn't something she really, right. she, she felt very uncomfortable with. But she, she wasn't really even thinking about doing it. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, there are people who know that it's not for them, and that's fine. But generally, otherwise, if, I, if people come, go to the trouble of coming to workshops to find out more, they're at least willing to be, a bit open about it, at least at least until they see what they're really looking at. Mm-hmm. So, um, another thing I'll mention about fear, if I may, is that I recommend. Mm-hmm. I I read a book that changed my life on fear, and this was before my poly days. This was after my second divorce because I was very hurt and afraid to get involved emotionally again. <clears throat> I've come a long way since then, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a book uh, uh, called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by a therapist mm-hmm. name who's passed on now. Her name's um, Susan Jeffers. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it's e- an easy read, and it helps you really go through and examine how fear works, uh, how, fear, how it worked in my life. And once I was able mm-hmm. to do that, I felt empowered to, I, I felt like I could handle 
the fear that I had about falling in love again and take it a step at a time. So, um, Mm -hmm. and that was, like I say, before I even came into the poly world where fear could really be uh, an issue around jealousy. Uh, And that book helped me enormously, and I've been recommending it probably for 20 years now or more. Great. So Thank you. I jotted that down. Fear. Sure. Oh, she's awesome. Um, another thing that I talk about in uh, the, my jealousy workshop are the origins of jealousy. Um, they can be societally programmed core beliefs that, that where we say things like, if my partner really loved me, they wouldn't want anyone else. So we hear that. It's a, mm-hmm. basically a meme in society. Uh, if my partner were happy with me, uh, if I were good enough, uh, my partner would be satisfied with me alone. We're also told love is scarce, <laughs> that, you know, there's only that one person out there that's our made, made, made in heaven match. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the uh, and one, it poss- it's just not possible to love more than one person. That's another thing that we, mm-hmm. we have heard a lot about in the past, heard people say, especially people that, online like- that, were, that were in comments. Go ahead. Uh, you were going to say especially people who what? Um, um, especially people who are responding in comments to articles and that sort of thing. And oh, got it. Yes, yes, yes. Very unhappy with the idea. Yeah, that, that happens a lot. Um, yeah, and so I was just going to add that when I, when I, I was just going to add one more um, sure. example. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came mm-hmm. out as Polly to my mother, she tried to be loving and understanding, but her main comment was, um, how could you be sexual with more than one person? Because sex is a sacred thing. So <laughs> that's another, <laughs> another pro- program's belief. Oh, absolutely. Um, and there are many times religious underpinnings to that. A lot of people in the poly mm-hmm. world have come mm-hmm. from, I've met a lot of people who, who identify themselves as recovering Catholics and, um, mm-hmm. So forth. Um, so there, we definitely have some uh, long centuries worth of religious programming that that tried to tell us that very thing that sex is sacred mm-hmm. and it can only happen with one person. And you know, the um, some of those who are uh, research and write about that kind of thing say that that all got started in the in the European churches to guarantee the or try to guarantee that property was inherited by the blood of the father, the offspring, exactly. his, his true offspring. <laughs> so mommy can't right. now have anybody else because that would, that would not make that possible. Um, so anyway, right. I talked about those origins. They... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Oh, I, was just gonna... I didn't want to run past I was what you wanted say... to say. Yeah, no, I was going to say that uh, just dovetailing on that patriarchal uh, history of mm-hmm. the bloodline of the man. Um, and that, mm-hmm. that's what led to women like in the Middle East being killed if they're the victim of a rape because they can't identify yeah. who the father might be, so they've got a killer. So that's an extreme yeah. example of that model that you're talking about. Yeah, you're right. It really is. Uh, another of places where the, the origins of jealousy are, are unresolved insecurities in ourselves. I already talked about unlovability and um, not just just maybe even thinking we got lucky with this partner that we have and maybe they'll like the other person better, that sort of thing. I strongly discourage, by the way, um, comparing ourselves to newcomers, uh, to new partners, if someone our, our partner is seeing uh, that's new. Um, it's almost like we have to just notice when we're thinking that way and stop it and turn it off enough times to reprogram, literally reprogram our brains to where we don't do that. Now that can be impossible if there are major uh, self-esteem issues. So that goes back Mm -hmm. to what I was saying earlier about it being important to work on those things. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people don't deal well with vulnerability either. They they feel an extraordinarily high need to feel in control, and uh, that can be a problem. And the last place is unresolved insecurities in the relationship. If the relationship, the existing relationship is not sound, as I said before, because of of trust problems, then that can be an issue Mm -hmm. too. So that's pretty much that. 
about origins of jealousy. Then I talk about common kinds of jealousy. The late uh, Deborah Annapol, I'm sure you, you're familiar mm-hmm. with her. Perhaps you met her um, before yes. she passed on a couple of years ago. Um, uh, in her book, Polyamory, the New Love Without Limits, she has a wonderful chapter on jealousy, and she talks about the various kinds of common kinds of jealousy. Uh, possessive jealousy is that green-eyed monster thing we don't see very much. Uh, exclusion jealousy, that we don't want to be excluded from whatever our partner is doing. Comp- uh, competition, people who are very competitive and they uh, tend to be jealous uh, because they want to be sure they get exactly the same kinds of attention or time or whatever. And then fear jealousy, which is the most common one. Then we talk about mm-hmm. comparison some and competition and possessiveness. Yeah, let's talk about compersion. Um, this is a term that came up for those that don't know in the polyamory world, which is the opposite of jealousy, of feeling excited for your partner's pleasure and happiness. And how can people cultivate uh, compersion more in their open relationships? You know, I think that it's, some people come into polyamory with it already. They seem to have it. They're already, that's part of their belief system, part of their philosophy in life. Uh, and goodness gracious, good for them. Um, I think an awful lot of us come in somewhere after that, after the beginning with that. Uh, I think the longer, the more experience we have with poly relationships and poly relating, um, the easier it is to get to the compersion part. And sometimes it's not a straight line. Sometimes we can feel insecure and still be, oh, I remember the first, I remember the first time I dealt with jealousy. I used to think, I'd, oh, I'm, I am a, low, a person that's got a low jealousy uh, tendency. I don't tend to be jealous very much. But I, until I was challenged about that with a guy I was saying, um, I really thought I didn't get jealous. And I remember crying mm-hmm. my eyes out because he had met a woman in his town about 100 miles from where I lived. And um, they were developing a primary relationship, a one-on-one, not, one-on-one, not exclusive, but nevertheless a, a nesting relationship, if you will, living together. And I was happy for him. He needed that in his life at that time, and I couldn't offer him that. Uh, and yet I was, so I was happy and I felt compersion about the new relationship in that way. And at the same time, I was crying my eyes out. I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> and it was just because I was mm-hmm. afraid I was going to lose him, you know, because he was uh, rather distracted also by new relationship energy at the time. So um, mm-hmm. as, that's, that's, a, that's an example of saying how compersion doesn't always happen in a linear fashion. And sometimes we... Uh, I think it's what we focus on, and if we focus on being happy for our partner uh, and we already have a good, solid, trusting relationship, I talk about trust all the time in workshops. I can't emphasize it enough. It is If there's any one thing that will help a poly relationship succeed or make it fail, it's trust or the lack thereof. So mm-hmm. if if the relationship is strong, uh, then it's a lot easier to feel compersion toward our part, our partner's new partner. And mm-hmm. it's also easier to right. be if we've met them and gotten to know them a little bit too and find out that they're, we really like them, we care about them. My, my spouse has a wonderful, wonderful partner right now. She's just the sweetest thing in the world. I just love her to death. And um, it feels so good to be able to say that, but she's also an experienced poly person, and she's had her share of hard knocks in the past, like we all have uh, in all of mm-hmm. this. And uh, I guess this is one way of saying that um, if people hang in there and focus on the positive things and uh, love on the love, that this is about love, that's another thing I talk about. Somehow we kind of can get lost if we're in conflict, especially that that part of this could get lost ironically but we have to focus on love and focus on trust and uh, if we can do that and we can be willing to meet other partners then compersion's a lot easier right and I know nowadays if my partner meets someone new one of my partners meets someone new I think of it mm-hmm. as like oh good more love like another person to love another person to come into the mm-hmm. family to have a larger family. And that's probably because I grew up in a very small family and I 
really only have uh-huh. one blood family member left living. So I get excited about the possibility of adding to the family and leaning into that new love and sharing that with mm-hmm. everyone. A lot of people so have tell me a little for themselves. Right. Go right. ahead. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about your marriage. Um, why did you decide to get married as opposed to just staying single and dating? <laughs> <laughs> is that funny? That's one of the big questions we get of the basics when people try to figure this thing out is, well, why would you be, why, why get married? Why not just stay single and date? And mm-hmm. people don't really understand that we all still want, a lot of us still want that pair bonded um not everyone, but a lot of us do, what, what a pair-bonded, um, cohabitating, sharing cars and home kind of relationship. Um, mm-hmm. Tim, who is my spouse, and I have been together for 12 years. Um, because we'd both been married twice before and our children were older, um, mine was gr- my one daughter was grown and his kids were in, in uh, middle school at the time, um, we knew that Children, we weren't going to have any children together, and there mm-hmm. wasn't any real reason to look at, at marriage for that reason or for any other reason. So we went seven years without um, without um, even thinking about getting married. We, we, we were happy the way we were, and we certainly had the, the commitment that was necessary to make our open relationship work. And then we got into a major... Um, conflict, a problem um, <clears throat> that it, we ended up hanging by a thread. We, we were really close to breaking up, and uh, we had to fight our way back through therapy. It was a, there was a major trust issue that came up, and um, we saw a wonderful therapist here in our area. Thank goodness for him. He's just fabulous. I've referred so many people to him, um, and um, we also did a lot of work with each other. We closed our relationship for, for about a year while we uh, dealt with this. And I, it turned out better than I would have ever expected was possible. Um, by doing that work, we fell back in love with each other. Um, mm. We uh, um, really became much closer. Um, we uh, decided or actually he decided <laughs> that maybe marriage was a good thing. He he would kind of tease me a little bit about it. Uh, it was never something I, I was content either way. If he wanted to do it, fine. But, but it also, it was not, it was not a big deal either way to me. Um, and uh, we worked through all those things and we planned a wedding and we, we, we uh, made sure our vows um, did not include forsaking all others, <laughs> and um, we, we, we reopened the relationship pretty much not pretty well not long after that, um, once we knew we were back on solid ground and um, were open to bringing more love into our lives. So um, mm-hmm. that's how that is. He, he wanted to, he proposed, uh, and we felt like it was the right thing to do because it was a, it was that public declaration and gesture toward each other that said that we are really committed here for the long term um, and that we wanted to have, and some people do it with commitment ceremonies. It doesn't have to be marriage, obviously. Uh, It can be whatever people want it to be. Uh, But but the important thing was that we had that, and we had not done that before, that we had that public declaration of our love and commitment and even the, 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 um, what that, what we what we were offering each other in that uh, in that way. Mm-hmm. So that's how we so ended up getting married five years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wonderful. So that brings me back to a question that I asked earlier, but I asked you two questions mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, do you and your partner consider yourself uh, that you have kind of a hierarchical relationship where your relationship takes priority over your other partners? Do you practice the veto? where you can veto another relationship, um, how, how does the hierarchy work in your relationship? Yeah, you know, the hierarchy, hierarchical um, model gets a lot, of bad, <laughs> a lot of bad press around the poly world. 
but you know, we see a lot of diet, open diets, really and truly, in the poly world. Um, I think it's all a matter mm-hmm. of what works for people. A lot of people mm-hmm. feel very firmly and, and adamantly that the hierarchical model is wrong, and it's at least wrong for them. Uh, they believe that it creates problems with new partners coming in, and it can certainly if people aren't being generous with their partner's time and so forth. That's one of the things that I that I felt was really important to make our relationship work and the relationships we have with other people work, and that is that we need to be generous with our partner's time and certainly not do things like someone I used to share a partner with would do, which is at the last minute insist that our date be canceled because she, you know, had a bad day at work or something. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it works out better when we um, – are supportive of openly supportive of the other relationships. Uh, I think that's how how these hierarchical things can work. Um, everyone knows coming in what the what what the boundaries are basically, um, and they can uh, and know that they're open. They're welcome warmly into our life, our lives, and. Um, as long as I make that clear and he makes that clear, which he always does um, with new people, and that we each are going to respect each other's relationships outside our own and never do anything to undermine them, uh, at least not without discussing it transparently, whatever the issue that's come up might be. It's not to say we ha- always have to remain silent if there are problems. That's a big mistake generally. Um so that's how uh, Tim and I work it out. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just that I've I maybe wanted uh, to finally get it right after those other two divorces. Uh, and that mm-hmm. maybe in- includes more of a dyadic model with, um, I-, I believe quite honestly, an observation that for a lot of people it's a more stable model. Because it, mm-hmm. it's kind of what, at least it, it starts us out with something that we're used to. We have seen that model. We just do it differently mm-hmm. in that we also allow other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, have that, you ever that, had uh, your partner, sorry, I was just going to ask you, ha- has your partner ever dated somebody who you just don't like or who she just wasn't interested in connecting with you or you just found it uh, difficult to deal with? Absolutely. I had two two different situations like that. Um, <clears throat> one partner, before I got together with Tim, um, had a, uh, a long-distance relationship for quite some time. Um, it started when he and I got together, but uh, it, uh, that partner eventually moved to our area, and uh, I did, we were still hoping to have a triad. Uh, but uh, she and I just really couldn't communicate well. For some reason, uh, it just didn't. It, it we just couldn't connect. Um, I'd try to have a conversation and just be open and transparent, and that seemed to push buttons for her where she'd get defensive. And um, I got to where I I felt like there wasn't anything I could do uh, to to really have a good regular relationship with her even if we weren't in a triad but the good news is uh, what I learned from this is that we don't as I said I think I said this a little bit earlier we don't have to be best friends we don't have to all live together the important thing is to respect the existence of that relationship in the life of the person we love and as long as we have our agreements clear between us that that also ended up being a dyadic kind of thing um mm-hmm. for him and me uh, with her being his other partner and I had someone I was seeing too um what I did do was tell her that I supported their relationship that I didn't want to do anything to um interfere with it and that's really all that was necessary um mm-hmm. from that point on it worked out pretty well um, and then mm, I had great, another great. Uh, experience. Yeah, I had another experience. Um, uh, well, actually, the the problem that I described a, a few minutes ago that uh, put um, 
my spouse, now Tim, and I in uh, really dire straits had to do with someone who, you know, I just saw red flags coming up from the beginning, from the, from the day they met. Um, and I had this sense that this was somewhere, I'm a, I'm a really strong, empathic, intuitive person. And I just, and I, I knew it wasn't paranoia on my part. Um, this uh, the red flags came up a lot about whether this was someone I could really trust, what, what her intentions really were with regard to this new relationship. And they both, um, because they both had, um, they both had problems with, um, um, I'm just, I, we're, we're, he and I are open about this so I can actually say it, but um, the, the main problem that came up was that uh, he eventually disclosed to me that he um, had a, uh, and there's, this is even a controversial subject, a sex addiction. Um, and mm-hmm. it turned out that there had been a lot of things going on that he hadn't told me about because they just wanted to, mm-hmm. he went, to, he just kind of fell into this abyss of um, behaviors that were outside our agreements and hiding mm-hmm. them from me. And I knew things were being he- hidden and I was feeling really jealous because I really felt like this was somebody he was just so deeply emotionally involved with that he wasn't hearing me. And uh, mm-hmm. it became a, trem- a tremendous crisis. And um, mm-hmm. th- that's before I knew there was a sex addiction part to it. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. once that was disclosed um, and um, he, <laughs> he, uh, he did, went away on a, for, with a men's group on a weekend. And I didn't know what was going to happen when he came back. And he came back and took me in his arms and told me he loved me and he wanted to work things out and he knew this other relationship wasn't a good idea. So from that uh, point beautiful. on, we had to start rebuilding. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to put a little plug in for the Mankind Project. I don't know if you've ever heard of that organization or not, but yes, I have. I have a lot of respect for it. Yeah, great. Uh, I love that. Wonderful. They, I mentioned um, I mentioned the therapist that he and I saw. He, he was the one the one aspect that that was so instrumental in our putting our relationship back together and in a stronger and wonderful place. And the other one was the Mankind Project that that wonderful. put him on a road that helped him deal with his uh, addiction issue and uh, it's resolved and everything is really, really great now. Wonderful. Yes, I, I know that there sometimes can be sex addiction happening and congratulations for you and your husband for working that through. Uh, we're about out of time. So I want to give oh, we you a are. chance. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. It just flew by. It was just wonderful speaking with you. I'm so impressed with all of the activism and advocacy you've done. I was looking at your website, all the boards that you've been on and so forth, as well as all of the media outlets that have quoted you, including the BBC, the New York Times, Washington Post. Very impressive. So please let people know how Thank they can you. get in touch with you and how, how they can access some of your resources that you've compiled. Absolutely. Well, once again, my work my website is practicalpolyamory.com. Um, and the resources that I offer there um, certainly uh, have a lot to do, uh, well, I have handouts from all the workshops that I do. Um, and that's, those are, uh, the handouts are under the downloadable documents section. That's free. All they have to do is is uh, download a PDF, and they address everything um, from Poly 101 to Making Peace with Jealousy, um, Emotional Edge Play, which is the title of my workshop for polyamory for people who are are in the BDSM leather fetish communities, Um, Mm -hmm. compersion, avoiding other pitfalls, um, poly-mono relationships, so I cover a, a wide range of topics within polyamory that um, t- people tell me, the, even the handouts, if they can't go to classes, have been very helpful to them. Uh, there's information on poly-friendly therapy, recommended reading, some TED Talks that I think are wonderful, um, and uh, um, media resources for those who are members of the media and yeah, a lot of media articles on polyamory that I was I had the pleasure of being quoted in over the last uh, probably seven or eight years. So practicalpolyamory.com that yeah. is. They can reach me at anita at polyamory.com. They can send me email. 
Um, and uh, I would love to hear from people. Polyamory. Uh, uh, your, at your, practical your email polyamory. Your, pra, yeah, Anita at practical right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. We have ten That's seconds, it. so I just want to thank you so much for your time, Anita. You are a delightful guest, and good luck with your website and everything else that you're doing. And we'll talk soon. Oh, thank you. I really okay. enjoyed it. Okay. Bye bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.